Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. It's really about romantic feeling. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. We have Danish babies who like to be outside. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Puppy love is real. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas. So you don't have to. I should be dating good looking people. everybody. Welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And today we're talking about puppy love, kid crushes, and dating. How old? When? When is this coming for us, Amy? I have thoughts. I have thoughts. I'm ready for this. But before we dig in, we're going straight to mailbag, Amy. Oh, yes. Wait a minute. Time for mailbag. Wait. Wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check the mailbag. This is a generalized mailbag, and I want to say that after our episode where I besmirched people who rinse ground meat with water, yes, I said that people were goofing on it on TikTok. Uh-huh. Many people came to our Facebook group to say that they do indeed wash their ground meat off in a colander with water. They brown it, and then they drain it in a colander, then they rinse it with water. And I mean, I don't agree. What kind of monster? But I want to say I'm not here to yuck other people's yums, Amy. That's against our philosophy as a podcast. So if you're out there rinsing your ground beef with water, you have my deepest apologies. I'm sorry for yucking your yums. As we've already established in our houses, this is our Etsy thing on the wall. In our house, we eat food and it's not like like delicious. In our house, we eat food. (laughs) That's all we're offering. And however you are preparing your food, good for you. It's really none of our business. So if you're out there rinsing ground beef, more power to you, I suppose. Fine for you. This topic came from uh, our Facebook group, as so many of our topics do. You can always come to our group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash what fresh hellcast and talk to each other and say, hey, what about an episode about this? That's what Emily did. She said, I would love an episode on puppy love and teenage dating and crushes and whatnot. My kids aren't there yet, but it's coming. And she went on to discuss, you know. A friend had a daughter who had said she didn't like a boy. Then the boy showed up with flowers and she had a conversation with her boys about, you know, listening to no. And so it's a complicated topic. It's about consent. It's about how we treat other people. It's about self-confidence. It's about lots of different things. 
It's about some kids being way more ready than other kids. And I'm the one with the old kids in this group. I'm 14, 17, and 19-year-olds. And I have definitely learned that they like they take a stab at it. They think they're ready. Then they're definitely not. Like I would say this is stutter steps. This isn't like your six-year-old wants to date and now you know, you're going to be picking out a China pattern by the time they're eight and a half. That's not how it happens. I think one thing that's interesting, and this showed up when I was looking into stuff for this episode, is that I think for a lot of parents, crushes and what is going on with your kids in terms of who they like at school is one of the first things that happens to us with our kids that we don't know about. It's one of the first times our kids have a secret or a life outside of us that we are not dialed into. And that's why this is sometimes really shocking, right? Sometimes you are the last to know. I've had the experience of being out to dinner with like a group of, you know, parents from my oldest kid's school. And they were like, okay, so the couples in eighth grade are this one and this one and this one and this one. And then named my son and a girl. And I said, like, what? I was the last to know. Everybody was like, this has been extensively discussed among all of us already. How do you not know this? Because I'm not supposed to. I am supposed to be the last to know. Right. And I didn't ask Margaret about this, about how do we handle kid crushes. And in that situation, someone had found a note in their child's backpack that was kind of like, do you like me? Check yes or no. Oh, like Cyrano. Totally like Cyrano. (laughs) And the mom's reaction was both like, oh my gosh, crazy, exciting, but also like, I had no idea. I would have assumed that this was something my kid would have come to me with and they didn't. And I think that's part of this process as well. Yeah, I think, you know, I think you have to put that aside. Because like I said, it's like, because they have a crush with somebody, they like somebody. That's for this Tuesday. It might not be for much longer than that. Yes, for sure. We'll be talking about not leaning in too much on this stuff because like, right. Okay. The things, the marriages that happen in elementary school, by the way, they're not binding. They don't last for the rest. This is not your new son or daughter-in-law who you're meeting. Yeah. And a headline on this, I think, for me has been, when do we start talking about this earlier than you think. Because according to the American Association of Pediatrics, when do you think kids start dating, Amy? I would say like 13, 14. They say kids start dating an average age of 12 and a half for girls and 13 and a half for boys. When a 12 or 13 year old talks about budding relationships with someone, they might mean anything from texting back and forth with a crush, going with a group to the movies, outings with other friends. And then they see more that 16 is where they see kids starting really one-on-one dating, kind of what we think of more as real dating. I mean, dating. I'll tell you what dating meant when I was in seventh grade. It meant stop making eye contact and don't look at each other and you're going out and then you hear from somebody else from a third party that you're not going out anymore and then you can like talk and be friendly again. That's what going out meant in my childhood and not that much has changed. I have a kid that's about that age now and what going out means and dating is extremely The rules are different, but they're not that different. Like the kids don't even know what they mean. They just know that they want to. They want to try this on. They have these feelings that develop. But dating means, I don't know what it means. But what is it exactly? Yeah. And I think that that's right. I was shocking to no one, a very late bloomer in this realm. I was a late bloomer in all ways. I was, you know, a kid who believed in a lot of things until the eighth grade when people were like completely goofing on me and being like, that's not real. Like I was a late bloomer. I was a believer, but I was not ready for love at 12 or 13. So you pivoted right to puppy love, but puppy love is real. I know this much is true. 
Bobby and I have to be together. <laughs> yeah. So let's start with young, young kids. So now we're talking about really like elementary school kids. These are like right. third, fifth grade kids. Parents.com has an article called How to Handle Your Kids First Crush. Mm-hmm. And they have five steps. Are you ready for the five steps of how to handle this, Amy? Sure. I'm going to say I'm not sure you need to handle your kids first crush, but I want to hear what these steps are. You're going to be agreed with later by an expert, but yes. All right. Spot the signs. So this is like we're doing uh, family dinners, right? Like what's going on at school? Okay. You might find the note in the backpack. You might find a kid who's talking a lot about somebody. You might find kids who are like, you know, who Cheryl likes Bobby. And that might be an opening to say like, oh, is there a lot of kids liking other kids? What's going on with you? Do you have anyone? My kids generally are like... No, my kids, not like their mama, are going to be, I think, slightly late bloomers in this area. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Step two, get the scoop. You might want to avoid the subject altogether or squeeze out every last detail. Are you like avoid or get the details? I guess like I'm resistant to this a little bit because I think what we're not supposed to do is lean into it. Like as delighted as we are, like say I'm making this up. My daughter likes Luca. There is nobody named Luca in her class. That I'd be like, oh, is there anything going on? That we are more into it than they are almost. Yes. You know what I mean? And it is supposed to be private and they're keeping it from us. And so what are we so interested in it for? And why do we as grownups feel this need to say, got any boyfriends yet to a six-year-old? I feel like we lean in in a way we don't have to. Do we really have to follow our child's... I guess the tactic is follow your child's lead instead of find out as much as you can. I don't think you need to find out as much as you can. That's right. And a lot of this is going to be like enforcing our kind of ideas and delight around something. And that it's because I think this idea of our kids having a secret or something that's going on that we are not part of is disturbing to us. So our reaction to that is like, oh, my God, let me get to the here comes the news reporter. Like, what is it? What was said? Who said what? Like, yeah, lean out from that. Don't push general questions that follows your kid's lead, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, someone got married in recess. Oh, I noticed that you're hanging out with that one a lot lately. Like, how does that feel? Watch the instinct. It's really interesting. Like, why do we have an instinct, even still as adults, to get very, like, tease-oriented around this? Yes, this is what I mean. Like, don't say anything to me like, oh, so what did he say today? Like, it's not making things better. Right. It feels like a big deal to us. And I think we want to reinsert ourselves into the middle of it and reestablish intimacy with our kid. Like, tell me everything about why Adam is, you know, your true love. But it's not really for us to participate in, I think. This goes back to our theory of like, only answer the question that you're asked. So that like, when a kid asks like, what is sex? You describe that. And then you wait for follow-up questions. Like, we're not going all the way into like, generalized details and stuff. You answer the question that's asked. And I think this area is important that way. Our parents' article's third step is determine if the crush is mutual. And I think that this is just about like, What we're trying to establish here is good hygiene around relationships. These are not real 
relationships. They're not actually dating, but it's a good time to start introducing the conversation that dating is about a mutual experience. And so you're there to kind of pick up a little bit on like the bad feelings and the things that may be negative for your kid, but that we can't make other people like us. Sometimes it's thrilling to just like someone and admire someone and that's enough. And if someone has a crush on you that you don't feel the same way about, it's fine to say, I don't feel that way, but I like to be friends with you. And that we're starting to kind of start... And we talk about this and I talked about it in other episodes that like when my kids play, I'm constantly saying to them, no ends the game, period. Mm. If you are the person who says no in the game, you are ending the game. And if you are the person playing, whether it's tickling or wrestling or Nerf guns or whatever the game is, once someone else says no, that's the end of it. And so it's teaching kind of, I hope, boundaries and consent around like, No is a full sentence from that other person. And whether you're like, but we're having fun, it doesn't matter. The other person said no, and that ends it. And to be gendered about this, when it's a girl who's on the receiving end of attention, speaking from personal experience, at least, this person likes you. I'm going to get very old fashioned. Okay, like this boy likes me. I'm not really into that boy, but you mustn't hurt his feelings and you mustn't do this. So I guess I... Sure, I like you. And now we're going out, whatever that means in sixth grade. And sometimes I think girls in particular have to be taught that you don't have to reciprocate. And it's okay to hurt somebody's feelings and say, I like you just as a friend and teaching kids about boundaries as far as setting them up, not just honoring them, but creating your own. It can be tricky. Yeah. And that's a practice that comes. And I think a lot of us practice that not enough. And that having the experience of being able to say to, for my daughter to be able to say to her brothers, no, I don't want to play this game. Their instinct is often, but it's fun, but this, but that. And just constantly reinforcing for both sides of that dynamic. When someone says no, that is their answer and you respect that. And understanding from your point of view that no is an acceptable thing to say and that the expectation should be when you say no, that stops from the other side. And if not, you've got a problem and you may need to get an adult involved to help you deal with it. Yeah. And these are conversations that are not about dating. I mean, I say this all the time, like the sex talk and the dating talk is happening every time you teach your child boundaries, every time you teach them about respecting themselves, every time you teach them about standing up for yourself, you're really talking about what they're going to be dealing with in dating, even though you're not putting that fine a point on it. Mm, mm -hmm. So that's why I bring it up. That's why it's not about getting nosy about what's happening in fourth grade. It's about using these as openings to talk about consent boundaries. Yeah, the bigger picture. So that's Parents, four things, set boundaries, super important. And I've had this conversation with my kids. Experts generally agree that physical behaviors have nothing to do with sexuality at this age and that the feelings of like, I have a crush are different than the actions of hand-holding, kissing, expressions of love, and that you should be the person that's helping define those boundaries. Right. So I think you have to put a really fine point on this. And I have had conversations with my kids where I've said, it's great that you guys like each other. It's great that you have this relationship with each other where you really feel special towards each other, but you are way too young for anything physical. There is no handholding allowed. There's no kissing allowed, to which my kids are like, 
Uh, yuck, ew, never. We're not even thinking about that. We're going out. It doesn't mean we're kissing. Yes. And that's a horrifying idea to them. Right. But at the same time, you've got to put a fine point on it. Yes, you do. But I also think it's not like because your kids are going to be like tussling under the bleachers in fourth grade unless you put a stop to it. Right. Like it's developmental. Probably not. Yeah. But I think it's good to put that in writing, kind of to put that verbally and say like, okay. You like each other in fourth grade in these ways and kissing and handholding is for dating when you're older. It does not happen now. Okay. And then the last point is heal hurt feelings. Early infatuations don't last long. Most kids get over them quickly. But I think, again, with the teasing, there's a kind of dismissiveness that comes in of like, eh, you guys are in fourth grade. It doesn't matter. He was never a real relationship. Right. Doesn't mean your kid does not have hurt feelings when the boy they like says, stop talking to me and runs away. Let's take a break. Because when we come back, I want to talk about that, like whether puppy love, whether we're wrong to call it that and think it's something small and less and cute and not real. Whoa. Oh, I have a Dutch term for you, Amy. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so you were saying, is puppy love real, right? Like when we say a oh, puppy love, like is that us infantilizing it in a way that's not quite accurate? Like clearly they're not actually going to like get married and have kids or maybe they will. But it's, are we comforting ourselves when we say it's like cute and little and tiny and not real? Yes, we are, Amy, because oh. as you know, we have Danish babies who like to be outside. When the Danish baby falls in love, what's it called? We're now we're moving on from the Danes. The Dutch, we have Dutch speakers who use the term, excuse me in advance, Dutch people. People, verlimpt 
I have no idea how to say it. I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, yeah. And this term is being in love. And they use it with equal credence for children, teenagers, and adults. So in the Dutch language, they don't make a distinction between puppy love and real love and like yes. kid crushes and real relationships. Uh, yeah. It seems to me that the intensity of, I'm talking more like moving into teenage years, I guess, like a first love, you know, the intensity of those feelings, it's easy for us to just dismiss them as like, oh, they're just kids. And they are, but the intensity of the feelings is very, very real. Yeah. And there's two sides to this, because on the one hand, there is no equivalency between a marriage that's happening on the playground in second grade and a marriage between two 30-year-olds that's like announced in the New York Times. There's not an equivalency in the kind of love. But I think it helps underscore this thing of trying to take out the teasing and dismissiveness that we sometimes approach this with and being able to say like, you have these strong feelings and if they're not reciprocated, it really does hurt. Right. I'm here to support you in that or someone else has these real strong feelings towards you and you don't reciprocate them. And therefore, I'm going to help you navigate that and learn how to use your no that giving the feelings that they have some respect kind of helps inform how you react to it, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's the upside to it. That makes a lot of sense. Let me lay some Amanda Rose on you. She's a professor of psychology at the University of Missouri who has researched romantic interests in children as young as third and fifth grade, half of whom report having a boyfriend or girlfriend, a percentage that goes down with age. She said that younger children are less likely than adolescents to have reciprocal romances. So she's saying younger kids are more likely to say they have a boyfriend or girlfriend, but they're actually less likely to have that be like an actual thing that's reciprocated. That's right. So when you're a teenager, if you have a boyfriend, it's because the boy likes you back. Yes. And if you're third grade and you have a boyfriend, it, it can be completely in Barbie doll land. Yeah. Okay. And I think, you know, it makes sense to me that like this goes down, like it is a phase where like kids are just starting to think about this and what does it mean? And it may mean that your kid has a crush on somebody who is same sex. And like, does that mean that they are gay? Mm-hmm. Who knows? It may or it may not. That may change in eighth grade. And so I think it's just important for us to be that kind of safe space for these conversations and frame it as like, You do have these feelings. Deborah Rothman, human sexuality educator and an author based at the Park School in Baltimore, said crushes are a normal part of development. When kids start to see each other in other ways that are a little bit different, I do believe they get a little zing in their heart. It's like something that is saying like, I feel differently about this person than I feel about my best friend. It's that like new love. Like you were saying, there's not an equivalency between the second grade crush and the, you know, 32 year olds with a, you know, 16 month engagement, but also that like my heart goes flutter when I look at her. That's quickly not a part of our longer term adult relationships that hopefully can last our whole lives, right? But that intensity of that, I just want to be near this person and smell her is real for the kid who's having it, even if it lasts five days. And that's why I think that the secret to this is unfortunately very large. It involves like how you model how you are treated by your partner, how your partner models how they treat you and are helpful in the house. But I always think like, oh, you have to start thinking about this in middle school because it's somehow about sex. It's really about romantic feeling. 
And that that can start very, very young. Those first like, there's a romantic feeling. Yeah. And the end of romantic feeling, I'm thinking back to one of my kids, I won't say which one, had a relationship that started in sixth grade. And my kid was on the more like, oh, I guess I have this relationship now. And can we go to the movies? And like a babysitter ended up taking them to the movies on a sixth grade date. And the whole class was, of course, completely very involved in the sixth grade relationship. And, you know, two weeks later, it was over. The person who had started the relationship now like somebody else, not my kid. And my kid was like, uh, okay. But then like we're jostling each other on the stairs coming up from the cafeteria. And anyway, ended up having to go sit in, you know, a teacher's office after school and talk about like, this is why sixth graders are a little bit too young to be in romantic relationships and going to the movies, even with babysitters. And what you guys now have to learn from this is that you're going to continue to go to school together for the next couple of years. And that is kind of an adult thing. Sometimes people break up and they have to see each other. Sometimes people break up and they have to work together. So you guys are going to have to be in this grade school for the next two years and you're going to have to learn how to get along. And it was a, a worthwhile lesson for sure, but it was something I couldn't have predicted when my kid came home like, Uh, I think I'm in a relationship and can I go to the movies with their babysitter? It was not what I saw was going to be the lesson, but it was. Right. And I think it is good to keep in mind that this is an area where kids can kind of get out over their skis. And I struggle with it a little bit because I want my kids to be able to express themselves. But I'm also, as we move into talking about middle school relationships, I am wary about like, I don't know that you want to announce this to the whole class because I can see from the outside that this is not going to be, you know, multi-year. This is a momentary infatuation. Love on the rocks. Yeah, it's going to (laughs) be. Yeah. The deeper you go in, if you do go, you know, we have a walking town. So it's like, okay, if you do start going to town holding hands. The problem with that is that the activity itself is harmless, but the blowback from that is going to be large. And so I think I tend to come down on the idea of like, you can be friends with someone and you can like them, but you cannot date at this age. Mm -hmm. Because I think it solves for some problems of, I just don't want to be part of untangling this from the... Sixth, seventh, eighth grade social circle that seems like I feel like I can see that and you can't. And it's a middle school that the readiness of kids to want to talk about this, to engage in this can really widely differ. Katie Hurley was talking about kids in middle school and how they were like gears on a board, like a gear board, like, you know, moving along nicely and they're all spinning together. And then all of a sudden, one of the gears wants to spin more quickly. And then these gears that used to click very well, like all of a sudden it's like things are flying off the board. That's what happens in middle school when when they start to mature at completely different rates. And in the broadest terms, I have usually seen that girls seem to be more into talking about who likes who in sixth and seventh grade than the boys are. But not always. And I think that's where this gets fraught because your kid is maybe not ready to be part of this and all the kids are talking about it or they're very ready to be part of it and kid that they like won't even look at them. I mean, I think it's the pain is in the gap, as I like to say, between what you think and the kid across the aisle from you thinks. And it is their business. And, you know, a lot of stuff I read was like, should we even be involved at all? But I think it's an area for myself. I view myself as 
listener, supporter, but also boundary setter. Because I think sometimes kids this age need external boundaries in order to keep them safer. So like if they're feeling pressured to like hold hands and walk into town and maybe they're not quite ready for that, it's like it's easier. It's the lady. It's easier to be like, my mom won't let me do that than have to kind of navigate that situation on their own. So I am team keep the boundaries tighter around dating as long as possible. And you're totally right. Again, I'm thinking of one kid of mine and I'm going to keep it very nonspecific. But this kid had told me like two days before, this is like in the middle school years that I'm, I'm in this relationship now. And I say like, Oh, well, how interesting. And then, you know, the next day is like, can I go over to this person's house? And I said, are their parents going to be home? The answer was, I don't know. Uh, and I said, no, you can't. And then, you know, the day later is like, can we go out for dinner? We live in New York City. Like, can I take a taxi over to where this person's game is? And when their game is over, go out to dinner. A 13 year old, like, no, that's not for you. And I could see the relief wash over my kid's face. Totally. Like, yeah, yeah, no, no, I can't do that. No, my mom says I can't do that. They were fine with that. It was almost like save me from this expectation I'm not quite ready for. I mean, it depends on the kid, right? But yes, I did step in in that case. And it was like, knowing the boundary was there, my kid was totally relieved. And guess what? That relationship didn't last another five days and it wasn't supposed to. So yeah, I think that can be really helpful. Another tip from Rothman is to avoid superficiality, which I think we all like as we feedback and lean in, is she cute? You know, is she good looking? Like, why do you like her? Like we layer, it's like a poker tell. We are giving our kids a tell on what's important to us in dating by the questions we ask about the person they're interested in. Oh, tough. But, you know, and again, I mean, I hear this all the time. People would say, like, don't tell girls they're pretty. Tell them they're smart. I don't think this stuff is definitive. I don't think that, like, you told a girl she's pretty once and now she won't be president because you didn't tell her she was smart. You know, like, (laughs) I don't believe that any of these things are definitive. But it did give me a moment of pause of like, huh, asking questions instead, like, what do you like about this person? What do you notice about them? What's their personality like? And it's something to keep in mind as like when you show your cards, you're saying like, these are the things I think are important. So if you lead with like, oh, are they good looking? It's like I should be dating good looking people. Again, take it with a huge grain of salt because it's not going to be definitive. It's again going to be like watching you and your relationships and how you treat people that is going to inform this stuff. Not a single question that you get wrong. I can think of another time that you have to like be uh, accepting of the information you get, even if you might want more, which is when your kid tells you, as has happened to me, that they have a crush on somebody, but they don't want to tell you who it is. They do want to tell you that they have the feeling. Right. Very much. But then that's it. And I think sometimes it might be because it's a same sex thing, but not always. My kids have had crushes on people who I will never know who they were, but they wanted to make sure that I knew that they existed. And isn't that interesting? They just want to share that feeling with you because the feeling is so great. But the details are private. Sorry, mom. I find with middle schoolers now, we're talking a lot about this at the dinner table. And it's often like who has crushes on who? It's like I'm getting the reports and the gossip. It's so fun. I know. It's so good. But I'm trying to layer into it. Like, how is that person reacting? Is it mutual? Do people understand that when someone says no? You know, I'm trying to layer in a a couple lessons here and there. And then a point you made earlier, Amy, is also made by Greg 
Smallage, an independent sexuality educator based in Seattle who trains teachers and works with students in schools. One option, of course, is to do nothing at all about a crush except for savor it. That is so safe, Mr. Smallage says. That's such a delicious feeling. One of the messages that would be nice for kids to hear is that they don't have to do anything about crushes. Yeah. Crush has its own value because it opens us up and it's exciting. And most of them, I would say, end there. So let them be excited and let them hold the secret. Sometimes it's fine to just let it lay. Not our specialty. All right, we'll be right back. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. And now, the six types of moms explaining the birds and the bees from the What Fresh Hell podcast. The playing it cool mom. Uh, listen, guys, this is no big deal. It's something everyone does. I'm sure you've heard lots of things at school, but we're just going to talk it out, okay? No pressure, no weirdness, just a chat ski with the old monstrous. Nice and easy. The I'm not going to make this awkward, awkward mom. I know this seems really awkward. Oh my God, when my mom talked to me about this stuff, it was so incredibly awkward. I, I'm not going to make this awkward. Should we sit? Because standing feels awkward. Okay, I think we may be sitting too close. That also feels awkward. And I do not want this to be awkward. The let's lighten this up, mom. The old bird and the bees. You know when a bee mates, don't you? When she finds her honey, get it? <laughs> well, it's time to talk about the birds and the bees. Buzz, buzz, and flap, flap. Am I right? I mean, could this be any weirder talking to your mom about this stuff? Cringe. Am I right? The professorial mom. Gather around, children. I have a PowerPoint presentation that I will begin once everyone is seated. And the giggling has completely ceased. When you are ready, we will begin with the urethral orifice before moving on to the glans majoris. The having trouble getting started, Mom. So, uh, I wanted to talk to you about something. 
what's the word? It's it's uh it's sensitive, but it's not bad sensitive. In fact, it, it can be a wonderful thing. I mean, really one of the most wonderful experiences there is. But, but this experience should not be undertaken lightly. I mean, it's special in a very specific way that I want to talk to you about because it's it's so important and private. It is also private, but but not in a bad way. Okay. Wait, where was I? This has been Six Types of Moms Explaining the Birds and the Bees from the What Fresh Hell podcast. All right. So then since we both have older kids, we might be moving into like some slightly realer dating. Okay. You know, they're dating. They're actually like going on dates. The teen years. Andrew Smiler, PhD. This is from an article called So Your Teen is Dating Now What? by Deanne Cheney in Good Housekeeping. And Andrew Smiler gives these three waves of dating, which we've sort of covered. In the fifth grade, many experience their first real crushes and couples begin to form. They tend not to interact after school. This is kind of like we're passing notes. We've identified each other as a couple, but there's... Through a third party, we've established mutual interest. Yes. And we're going to let it leave it at that. Yeah. But we might not even be speaking to each other directly. Yeah, yeah. Second phase in middle school, kids begin to socialize on their own time, primarily via devices, which is an interesting new thing, right? Yes, yes. As for spending time together in real life, kids tend to go on group dates, some hand-holding taking place. Okay. This seems right to me for eighth grade, generally. Although there's a little more going on sometimes in eighth grade. And then phase three. <laughs> and then, guys, it's phase three. Sit down, sit down. Gird yourselves. Usually in the last two years of high school, couples spend time alone together with sexual activity occurring. According to the most recent stats available from the CDC, 55% of kids in the U.S. have had sex by the age of 18. So now we're dating. Yeah, some are. I mean, that means 45% are still, you know, watching YouTube videos and gaming and playing three sports in a school year and are pretty happy. Not dating. For sure. And he says, even though 85% to 90% of kids have had dating relationships by the age of 18, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your kid for preferring instead to focus on baseball or YouTube. Things happen in their own time when your kids are ready. I did not date in high school at all. And I mean, I was a nerd and I was a goofball, but I wasn't abnormal. I uh, had boyfriends in high school, but I'll tell you what, I think like the last two years of being a teenager and trying to socialize and meet kids and date like during a pandemic, this is all like your mileage may really vary because of what this weird last two years has been for this. I think that these numbers are probably lower now than they were a couple of years ago. And in general, what is interesting is that there is a national trend that kids are dating much less right now than when we were kids. Yeah. And what dating means, because I have a college student and what dating means and what it means to be going out with somebody. Like if you announce you're going out with somebody, that really is start like shopping for China patterns next week. Like That's like a huge, huge deal, right? Yes. If you put a picture of you with your you know, sweetheart on Instagram, for example, you are making a statement. That's big. It isn't like, look at this. We've been dating for two weeks and they're so cute. No, 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 no. It's at least this is what I'm being led to believe by my college student. I'm very much team, as I've expressed, wait. I found as a high school student, 
I would say I'm going to make a general statement that I don't even know if it's correct, but I'm going to try it out on you, Amy, and get your reaction. I find that kids who started dating very, very early in high school, the people who I knew did not have a great experience of it. They had more problems with like unhealthy relationships, especially as it came to getting involved with sex very young. I did not see it have tremendous positives for young people that I know. I dated like all through high school. I had a boyfriend, like one boyfriend or another boyfriend. And for me, it was very positive in terms of like romantic relationships and practicing that or whatever that meant. But where I did have ramifications was in the closest of my female friendships. Because I was constantly focusing on a boyfriend. Mm, That those sort of came in second. Yeah, always. And I think that's something that I look back on my high school and college years and wish I had done a little differently. Yeah, I was really interested to think about this because I think that's an idea I've held. Like I was nerdy in high school and that really helped me out because I wasn't ready to be involved. I was not secure in myself at all in high school. I was not popular. I was overweight. I feel like I was a pleaser. And I'm very glad looking back that I was not involved. Listen, no one was looking to have a romantic relationship with me in high school. But I'm glad I wasn't pursuing that because I know I would have been involved in like really negative relationships that were just me desperately trying to please whoever I was around because that's the kind of kid I was. Yeah. So I probably see it through that lens of like every girl is just desperately trying to please a boy and that they're making bad decisions, which I'm projecting from myself. But I did find an article called Why You Should Permit and Encourage Your Teen to Date by Adrian Wickard Eds in the Washington Post, which I thought was really interesting. She said, she pointed out that teens are dating less than ever before. Pros, less likely to have sex as high school students, which can have some obviously downsides. But then she was saying, cons, these kids may arrive at college or in the real world with little experience with romantic relationships and even less experience with face-to-face social interactions overall. That might make it more difficult to navigate relationships at a time where they are already adjusting to being away from home and their previous support system. And that point kind of resonated with me. Like, I guess it is good for kids to be kind of going out from your house and coming home after dates and after having these experiences and having some of that guidance helping them out. Yeah, but like, now ask that nice girl to the semi is not going to make your kid who is really not interested already in having romantic relationships have one. I'm wondering about how you can really encourage your teen to date. I mean, we have a long running joke in my family. There was a girl in our neighborhood that I thought that my oldest should ask out. I mean, it was, I didn't really mean it, but I kind of meant it like, she's cute. Like, And so it's become this, you know, long running joke in our family that was never taken more seriously. But if I really try to lean into that, like, no, you have to go out with her so that you're ready to have relationships when you leave this house. I just, I don't know if that's something you can make them want to do. Well, it's funny because at the top of this section in our notes, I wrote, the hardest thing about teen dating is that it challenges our notion of parental control. Like this is the ultimate area where, you know, you basically until your kid is 18, if they're living at home, you're controlling most of the things they eat. You're controlling the majority of time in their schedule. Less and less as they get older. Yes. But even with an 18 year old at home, you know, you're controlling what car they drive. You're controlling what time they need to be back to the house. You have a tremendous amount of control in a lot of areas in their life. And surprise, surprise, 
you have very little control about what's going on in their dating life. Mm -hmm. Whether it's me saying, I don't want you to date, whether it's you saying, you need to date this great girl who I found for you, you actually don't have control. And I think that thematically, that is what makes from puppy love to like teen dating really, really difficult. And there's a million articles like, I don't like the person my kid is dating. What should I do? And it's kind of like, good luck. I mean, you can express how you feel. You can completely ban that relationship and take away their car and make their life really, really difficult. But it's probably not going to work fundamentally on a very fundamental level. I feel like this might be you had a rule about talking to in-laws. And I believe it was something like you have three cracks at this. You can have three, like, let's sit down and have, we're going to come every other Christmas instead of every Christmas, whatever it is. You have to, you know, choose your battles carefully. I'm thinking of one time that my parents actually, when I was a college student, did. And they weren't controlling of my life at all, but they did sit me down once and say, you know, we don't think that he's good for you. This was at a time when I was being mistreated, like I was being cheated on and whatever, but I was really going... I was going so far out of my way to be like, no, 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 no. But he's just like, you know, he just doesn't understand and he'll see. And they had to like sit me down. I'm like, he doesn't really love you. It seems to us. We're really sorry, but we wonder about this. And I needed to hear that. But they did not do that with every, you know, sixth grade Valentine. That It's very different. And I think what happens to my high school student if they go to college without knowing how to have a romantic relationship? Like, it's okay. You don't need to teach them how. You don't need to get them on that track by a certain time. Yes. And I will push back because they didn't say that about every Valentine. But my guess is they did say at family dinners, you need to treat your friends more nicely. You need to include that girl who's not being included. Yes. You need to stand up for yourself about that kid who's giving you a hard time. So like, I think we make a mistake in separating like sex and dating are one conversation and everything else is another conversation. And I think the key to helping our kids function well in dating. And some of them are really hard. You know, I have kids who go through really difficult things of like, you know, a friend from elementary school who's no longer in their friend group and wants to be friends with them. Like, do they have to continue to include that friend until senior year of high school because they were friends five years ago? I'm trying to figure that out for myself. We're trying to figure it out together. But I try to base those conversations in like, we treat people kindly and we treat especially kind people kindly. And yes, things shift and change, but we don't allow other people to treat us badly and we don't treat other people badly. And that these, the fundamentals of relationships, I think we tend to feel like we have to sit down and be like, this guy's not good for you in these five ways. I think because your parents were there through your whole life and giving you guidance in many different ways, you were probably more able to hear from them as a college student. We love you and we don't like the way this person treats you. Mm -hmm. That that isn't coming out of the blue, that that house has a pretty firm foundation. You know what I mean? And also the, because the, it does have a firm foundation and it's also because that uh, conversation was so uncharacteristic. Right. They saved their card. Like That's what I mean about the like, you have three chances. They saved their card. This was worth playing that card. They did not interfere with my relationships. They didn't even interfere with this one. There was no, you may not, we refuse. It was, you think you should consider this. And I actually really needed to hear it. Yeah. And I think that's right. And I hope, listen, all of our kids make choices that we don't agree with. All of our kids do things that break our hearts and that we think is wrong and that we see them on the wrong track. And I think all we can do is say... 
listen, I hurt for you when I see you in a situation that I know is bad for you. But when you come back to this house, you're loved and supported. And so like whenever you're ready to drop that and come here, like we're here keeping the hearth fire warm, but they're going to have to figure out some of this stuff on their own, which is really hard. Yes. But I am team like fifth or sixth grade, like let them do it and don't get over involved and do not over engineer and do not attach your wishes to something that might change in three days. Let it happen. It's supposed to. But allow it also to open up conversations about like, oh, you guys like it. That's such a special feeling. Oh, you like him. He doesn't like you. Well, that's where you have to end it. But, you know, you can still feel that special way. Like, but you can't, you know, be showing up every day with roses because that's inappropriate. And that person said no. And you got to respect it. So I think you can bring in a lot to these smaller conversations that hopefully bears fruit when we're having like the real deal. Solved it. Solved it, Amy. Teens and dating. Who knew? Boom. Locked it up. Hey, do you know someone who is going through this with one of their kids, whether a little bitty crush or a teenage dating situation? Do you know you can share this episode with them directly from the player you're listening to it on? Go and find the little share button and you can send it to friends and say, hey, listen to these two. They solved every single thing about teenage dating, so you don't have to. They know a lot about this. That's a service we offer. We will solve all problems so no one else has to. We would love that if you would help us find new listeners for the podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. I enjoyed this conversation. Amy, I'll talk to you next week. So long. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. 
And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.